So I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and we were talking about the Terminator. And it became clear that Emily had... First off, Emily didn't realize that the Terminator and Terminator 2 were two different movies. I guess she'd never seen either, and they were, I guess, truncated in her mind. So she and I sat down, and we watched T1 and T2, which, by the way, I don't know if you've seen them recently. I don't know if you've never seen them, but they're fantastic films, and I had never seen them back-to-back before, and it uh, it changed my level of enjoyment for them. First off, they're very different movies. Uh, if you're familiar with them, you know that. Terminator 1 is in every way a horror movie. It is about an, a relentless, unstoppable killer that never stops coming after you. Uh, a death snail, if you will. An It Follows, but done in 1984, way before that shit. And then Terminator 2 is an action movie. And it's a great action movie. It's a fantastic action movie with comedic elements. But they are very different films. And they kind of... It's interesting because they are they deal with time travel, right? And honestly, I've seen a lot of time travel films in my life, and I've read a lot of time travel books. I think that they handle time travel about as well as I've ever seen. They sew it up really well. Uh, it makes sense. They take a lot of care to explain it and treat it in a way that doesn't create a lot a, a lot of plot holes. And watching one to two, there's a lot of there's a lot of history repeating itself playing out in front of you, but done in such a cool way. You know, a lot of what two does is lovingly send up moments from one and make them bigger and better. However, we're not really talking about Terminator. I guess we are and we aren't. We're talking about James Cameron. If you don't know, James Cameron is the director who directed The Terminator and Terminator 2, as well as Aliens and True Lies and The Abyss and Titanic, and Avatar, and Avatar 2, the sequel, and, you know, a bunch of other National Geographic stuff. Those are his big theatrical films. And I don't know a ton about James Cameron. I consider myself a a fan in the way that most people consider themselves a fan if they like all those movies. I've never seen a James Cameron film I didn't enjoy. But I wouldn't say I know a ton about the dude. However, I did remember one piece of information. I, I, I learned it on the internet in the last 10 years or so. I remember... I remember reading that James Cameron was a truck driver before he was a director and that he actually uh, like he didn't go to film school. He actually uh, learned everything he needed to know about film while driving truck. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. That's a great everyman story. You support yourself as a truck driver. And then on nights and weekends, you're learning about directing and and film. And then uh, you become the second highest grossing director of all time just 30 years later, or however long later. Like, that's a pretty cool story in itself. But going into watching Terminator, one of the earliest shots is, uh, and this is an Easter egg that's been reported before, but Terminator pulls up in front of uh, one of the Sarah Connors homes, uh, I think the first one he's looking for, and he's in a stolen station wagon. And he parks on top of a semi, like a little toy semi truck, like an Ertl toy truck, and crushes it. And that is essentially the same semi-truck that runs him over at the end of the movie in the climactic fight scene at the very end where they're on like a freeway. So it's kind of like a, an in-movie Easter egg that that has been noticed by many people. I, I, I'm certainly not the first person to notice it. I'm sure you've already noticed it in your, in your lifetime. But seeing it this time and remembering that I'd read that, that James Cameron was a truck driver in the past, I thought, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Like maybe when James Cameron was driving truck, you know, up and down the, the California freeways, 
maybe he uh, maybe he was like daydreaming about how to work them into movies or like you know dreaming about just running motherfuckers over who are who are bugging him and then somehow that I don't know that memory made its way into uh, maybe consciously or subconsciously into Terminator. Maybe he he spent long boring days driving down the 101 just thinking about how there aren't enough semi trucks being blown up and run into shit in films and that if he ever got the chance he would go hog wild. So after we watched T1 and T2, I went back and I rewatched them so that I could uh, try to pay attention to every time a semi or a big truck appears on camera. I thought it was more than it was, but it's still more than, I would say, an average film. It, T1 begins with Terminator popping into uh, L.A. in front of a garbage truck. And that's a garbage truck, but it's like the front of like a semi-cab on a garbage truck back. So I kind of half count that. And then the aforementioned scene 10 minutes later when he runs over the semi with the station wagon, the little toy. And then that's pretty much it till the end. Although I got to say, by the way, there is a shot. There's a scene in the middle of the movie when Reese and Sarah Connor are hiding out in a parking garage and they're trying to ditch the car and get a new car. And eventually uh, Terminator finds them and they're escaping and they're running down one aisle and then Terminators are driving down another aisle and they're having a shotgun battle where Reese is shooting out of his car at the Terminator and Terminator is shooting out of his car at Reese. And I don't think I've ever seen before or since a a tandem shotgun battle like that before it's over pretty quick, but it's just a really cool. I, th- I don't feel like enough recognition uh, got poured on that shotgun battle. It's, it's, it's a, it's actually quite a clever and fun and exciting and, and kind of thrilling little scene in the movie. Uh, anyway, then you go a lot further down and then at the end, there is a huge scene on a freeway where he gets run over by the same toy truck that runs him over, obviously life size this time. And, and then the movie's over. Then T2 it starts with the T-101, which, by the way, this confused the shit out of me, so I looked into it. In the first Terminator film, they very clearly call him the T-101. That's his uh, uh, model number, I guess, right? But then in Terminator 2, they refer, who, the bad guy in T in Terminator 2 is the T-1000, Robert Patrick, right? They refer to Arnold Schwarzenegger's model as the T-800 when it was the T-101 in Terminator 1. So I looked it up, and here's the uh, official internet answer. They're actually the same thing, and without one, there couldn't be another. The T-800 is the endoskeleton, and the T-101 is the skin, and therefore physical appearance of the model. So this, it's like Series 800, Model 101. That seems retconned to me, but okay. So anyway, there you go. If you've ever been confused about why the Terminator is, uh, where Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator is the T-800 and the T-101, I, I guess that should explain it. So T2 starts with Arnold Schwarzenegger, the T101 or the T800, whatever you want to call him, popping like time bubbling in between two big semi trucks. There they are. Literally starts the movie off with him. And then he has his famous naked uh, like biker barroom fight. Then, and by the way, another interesting thing when you watch those movies back to back, it is crazy how much smaller Arnold Schwarzenegger is in Terminator 2 versus Terminator 1. I know. You know, he wasn't on the the professional circuit anymore, but man, his back in one is like twice the size of his back in two. And he's still huge in two. Don't get me wrong. It's just crazy how big he was in those early 80s movies. And then, of course, uh, not too much longer after we're introduced to teenage John Connor, uh, we have the huge culvert L.A. motorcycle chased by a semi truck scene where uh, John Connor starts off on a, and he starts off on like a little dirt bike and then he ends up on Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, like hog, like his Harley. And then they're being chased by 
the T-1000 in the big semi. Huge scene. You, you've definitely, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen that scene, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And then we're, it's, we were semi-less for most of the movie. Then at the end, we have kind of the repeat of the final scene, but this time the semi-truck is full of liquid nitrogen, and then things happen, the rest of the movie unfolds. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. But looking back on it after, after watching the two back-to-back again, I guess it's not that many semi-truck scenes. I think it's six if you count it out. But total screen time chewed up in or around or being chased by a semi is pretty significant. I'm not going to timestamp that shit and figure that out. But it's clear James Cameron devoted a lot of Terminator 1 and a lot of Terminator 2 to semi-trucks. And there are tons and tons and tons of articles and stories about how he got his start, about how he was a a truck driver. And then on the weekends, he would drive down to USC and he would go in and just Xerox all of the doctoral dissertations on on film and emulsion and printing and like everything technically he could learn about about film and he would like fill up all these binders and then just study it constantly he says i think he says that he gave himself a full college education for about 120 dollars in xerox fees which you know it's pretty fucking cool and honestly probably doable by anybody listening to this podcast really is the the information is out there if you if you have the wherewithal and the drive to teach it to yourself fuck it's even easier now because we have youtube and master's classes and all that stuff but anyway there's all these inspirational articles and interviews with him about this but nobody at any point in time asks him hey are all these truck scenes in these movies because you're a truck driver and the more i read the more frustrating i got with the lack of that question being asked let alone answered And so to my limited knowledge, it seems like it's never been addressed in any kind of major way. But doesn't it make sense to you? Because it makes sense to me that a guy got his start. He funded his film career partially by being a truck driver and then suddenly made trucks a big part of his first two movies. Now, I should back that up. That technically not his first two movies. He directed Piranha 2, sort of. I'll cover that in a second. But Terminator was the first movie he wrote and directed. And then Terminator 2 wasn't the second. He had, I think he did Aliens in between, but it was another movie that he wrote and directed. So these were his first, like, his movies. And he filled it with trucks. A lot of screen time going to semi-trucks. And I can't help but think that it must have been because of his experience driving trucks. Maybe not consciously, maybe it's only subconsciously, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm mad that I can't find out that answer. I'll, I'm left to, to my own assumptions, I guess. That got me thinking, though, I bet I could figure that out by looking at the rest of his movies and seeing what else he used trucks in. Maybe maybe there's a ton of trucks in all of his films. So I was looking at what else he made, and that's when I realized that since Terminator, he hasn't given himself a lot of opportunity to use semi-trucks. There's True Lies, and I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. I, it wasn't available for streaming for many years. I think you can get it on like Hulu Premium now, so I'll have to go back and watch it. I don't remember there being any semi-trucks in it. But not too long after T2, he does The Abyss. That's all in the ocean. He does Titanic in the ocean. He does Avatar and Avatar 2 jungles and forests. So now my question is, is James Cameron so addicted to putting semi-trucks in movies, he has to only allow himself to direct films where there can be no semi-truck? He has to eliminate the possibility from his own mind so that he can break free from it. All right, none of that's true, and it's I'm just, I have a dumb imagination. 
However, in this process, I, I read some fascinating stuff about this dude. For instance, did you know how many times James Cameron was married and to who? I had no idea. He was married uh, one, two, three, four, five times. I knew he was married to Catherine Bigelow. That was a, a high-profile wedding back in the 80s and 90s. They weren't married for very long either. They were only married for like two years, three years. But, and I don't know how this passed me by. Maybe you are all completely aware of this, but did you know that he was married to Linda Hamilton from 1997 to 1999? How crazy is that? I had no clue they were even a couple. I don't know if that means that they, they like, after the movies, they struck up a friendship and then fell in love or whatever. But yeah, I had no clue that James Cameron and Linda Hamilton were actually married. Of course, they got divorced in 99, and now he's married to uh, uh, his current wife, Susie, who he's been married to since 2000. So that clearly, that marriage was clearly meant to last because it's going on 23 years, I guess. So congratulations to those guys. But some of the most interesting shit I learned about this dude. So he got his start directing a movie called Piranha 2, which is interesting because Piranha 1, if you're not familiar with Piranha 1 and Piranha 2, they're like, they're they're ripoffs of Jaws. When Jaws became popular in the early 70s, mid 70s, they started pumping out other, like whatever kind of water horror movie they could come up with. And Piranha 1 came out in, I want to say like 76. That was filmed in San Marcos, Texas. So just south of Austin, uh, about where, where Texas State is, just about 30 minutes south of Austin, there's a place called Aquarina Springs. And they, it's very cool. You can take glass bottom boat tours there. They filmed the movie Piranha 1 there. And then James Cameron directs his first film as Piranha 2. No connection there other than Piranha 1 was directed by a guy named Joe Dante, who, if you've never heard of, he directed Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The Howling, uh, one of my favorite movies, The Burbs, but also directed. Uh, recently, dis- the hot, le- hot topic of discussion over on the Fuckface podcast, he directed a movie called Small Soldiers that was uh, very popular in 1998. Anyway, Joe Dante directed Piranha 1. Piranha 2 was a film that was produced in Italy by an Italian uh, production company and had no connection really to, to Piranha 1 that I'm aware of. Interestingly enough, though, before he directed Piranha 2, he worked on a movie called Rock and Roll High School, James Cameron did. I think he was in the art department on that movie. And Rock and Roll High School was directed by Joe Dante. So he did work with the guy who directed Piranha 1 before he directed Piranha 2, but I don't know that those two things had anything to do with each other other than being a happy accident because, like I said, Piranha 2 was produced by a different production company in Italy far, far away from Joe Dante in America. As a matter of fact, it was produced in Rome. It was filmed in Rome. And it was, uh, by all accounts, a total disaster. I've never seen the film. I'm definitely going to go back and watch it now. James Cameron apparently said that in if you watch the final cut of the film now, there's only two scenes that he shot in the whole movie. He was, I guess the film was set to be directed. He was doing art on it maybe or photography because he was he was working in art departments and he was doing director of photography stuff. So he, he was already kind of coming up in the industry at this point. And they fired the Italian director, hired, he said, I'll do it, you know, and they hired him because according to him, he was super cheap and they were trying to save money. And also uh, according to him and some other people uh, around that have worked with that production company before, 
uh, I guess a popular move by this production company was to hire a director, get the name on the film, fire that director, say that it didn't work out, and then it was actually the movie's actually directed by the Italian producers. And supposedly that's what the plan was here. That's what happened, at least if you listen to, to his side. If you listen to the Italian producer side, he was terrible and did a terrible job and spent all day in a boat uh, or in a series of boats chasing a cloud so that he could get the perfect lighting. And they were like, this is not how we're going to make this film. And so they fired him. Apparently he was hired back and then fired again. I don't know. It's it's all muddy. And a lot of like, it's a lot of like references to old articles that I can't find and shit. But ultimately he was fired from Piranha 2 and didn't make another film until Terminator. But that Piranha 2 film turned out to be very, very, very influential to him. Because he got very sick when he was in Italy directing that film in Rome. Mentioned that he hated being in Rome, which I cannot agree with. I was in Rome not too long ago, and it's maybe the coolest place I've ever been. Just big fan of Rome. Uh, anyway, he say he was directing and he was under a ton of pressure. He said that it was so bad, nobody on the crew spoke English. They only spoke Italian, and so there was this huge language barrier. And then they producers wouldn't let him look at the dailies, so he wasn't even allowed to see what he had shot, so he had no idea about continuity or how it was going. And it just sounded like a nightmare. And according to him, he was set up to fail, and they wanted to fire him. They were planning on firing him when they hired him, that this was just kind of a thing that they did as a cost-saving method, method I guess. He gets sick. He gets sick with fever and probably has like a flu or something from stress. Has a nightmare in his hotel room right around that time. And the nightmare is, and this is, his, this is a direct quote from him. Nightmares are a business asset. That's the way I look at it. I was sick. I was broke. I had a high fever. And I had a dream about this metal death figure coming out of the fire, he said. And the implication was that it had been stripped of its skin by the fire and exposed for what it really was. When I have some particularly vivid image, I'll draw it or write some notes on it, and that does not go away to this day. Oh, sorry. And that goes on to this day. So he gets the idea from the Terminator from that dream. What's fucking crazy to me, though, and nobody... I read a bunch of articles about this, and nobody makes this connection, and maybe I'm a lunatic for doing it, but my like armchair dream analysis, he even says it right there, the implication was that it had been stripped of its skin by the fire and exposed for what it really was. What it really was was a robot, right? It looked human, and then it was a robot, and then here you have a young James Cameron, like 24 years old, and he's directing a film, but he has no control over what he's directing. They There's a language barrier, there's a, a authority issues, they won't let him succeed. He must have felt in his own heart, in his own mind, like a robot. I wonder if he ever, I mean, he must have. The guy's very successful and very smart. He must have made that connection. Or maybe I'm just reading way too much into it. But if I have a dream where a human is being uh, laid bare to to show that it is uh, only a, a mechanical man, a robot, uh, at its true nature, while I'm in the process of being fired from a movie because I'm given no control and I'm being forced to do what I'm told and act like a robot, I think there's probably some correlation. That's got to be the best firing for all of us well, up there. I, I, I can't even imagine what other ones are to compare it to. But just think about that. If James Cameron has success in Piranha 2, if he doesn't get a fever, if he doesn't have that nightmare, does Terminator ever exist? Does it ever happen? It may be the only it may be that the only way we were able to have one of the greatest sci fi series of my generation of my lifetime, because that dude either did a shitty job or got unfairly fired on his first film. 
So I don't know who the producers were of Piranha 2, but thank you for firing that man because it gave him the seed for Terminator, which we are all better off for having seen and enjoyed. Another crazy little addendum to that is when is when Cameron went to to get Terminator made, he showed it to a person named Gail Ann Hurd, who was, a, uh, I guess, the founder of Pacific Western Productions. And uh, Gail agreed to buy the script for Terminator for $1 on the condition that they let Cameron direct the film. So then Gail had to go and convince the president of Hemdale Pictures to make the film with Cameron as the director and Hurd as the producer, which is probably a tough ask considering he got fired from his directorial debut. However, think about that. James Cameron believed in James Cameron to such a degree that he sold the script to Terminator for one fucking dollar as long as he got to direct it because he believed that he could make that movie a hit. And clearly he did. That is the epitome of betting on yourself. Like, what a ballsy thing to do. And you got to really, really believe in yourself to do something like that. And and clearly it was the right decision because uh, he's now the second highest grossing director of all time and I think he is in possession of three of the top four grossing films of all time so uh, it was a good bet it was a good bet by James another interesting thing about that dude uh, and something that makes me like him a lot he he quit his job as a truck driver to devote full time to, to, to the film industry after seeing Star Wars. He was so excited in 1977 by Star Wars. He was like, I, I got to quit being a truck driver. I got to dive headfirst into film. I got to make this happen. And then when he finally wrote the screenplay for Terminator, he wrote it after seeing Halloween. He was so inspired by Halloween that he wanted to make a horror movie and it turned out to be Terminator. I love that the dude is inspired by all the same shit that other normal people are inspired by. Like, I appreciate directors like Quentin Tarantino, but he's always referencing some, like, fucking Italian crime drama from 1968 that nobody's ever heard of. And that's very cool. Or some Kurosawa film. Or some... some some little known uh, piece of film noir that is super inspirational to him. I like that James Cameron was just like, I like Halloween. I like Star Wars. I want to make big movies. And then he fucking did. Which brings me to the section I'd like to call other shit I didn't know about James Cameron that doesn't necessarily fit into this other than I think it's interesting. For instance, did you know James Cameron wrote Rambo First Blood Part 2. I had no idea. And I bet you didn't either. I guess they were so excited with the work he did on Aliens that they asked him, not to direct, but they asked him to write the script for Rambo First Blood Part 2. And he did. And I had no fucking clue. One of my favorite movies when I was a kid. And I had no idea that the guy that did Aliens and the guy that did Terminator was also the guy that wrote Rambo. That would have blown my mind when I was nine years old. Another interesting piece of James Cameron, he's not listed as a writer on it in the final credits, but according to the American Film Institute, James Cameron was a co-author on the movie Alien Nation, which if you haven't seen it, is a really good movie. It's got James Caan in it. It was so successful that it spawned a, uh, a TV series based off of it. I think it only ran for for a year or two, but it's all about how humans and aliens, aliens exist and they come down to earth and we all have to live together and aliens really like milk. I remember that being a big thing of it. And just a lot of like, like racism between humans and non-humans and like, a, like just about how, how those cultures integrate, you know? And uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, Alienation was like, like a cop drama where uh, James Caan and maybe like a cop alien are trying to solve a murder or a crime or something. I got to go back and rewatch it, but I had no clue that James Cameron wrote it. In addition to that, 
going way back even before his directing days when he was getting his start and he got some early gigs. I mentioned he was on rock and roll uh, high school. He was also uh, visual effects. He did visual effects on Escape from New York, which is another classic early 80s film. Snake Plissken, Kurt Russell uh, had no idea James Cameron was involved in that. He also I did I did some photography on it. In addition to that, he was the executive producer on Point Break. I didn't even think about that. Another phenomenal film to be a part of. And then I saw he produced this movie. This is a movie I forgot existed. He produced a film I really, really enjoyed. I think it had Ray Fiennes in it called Strange Days. It came out in 1995. Yeah, it was Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, and, and Ray Fiennes. And it's like a, it's a sci-fi movie. I don't really remember a lot about it. As a matter of fact, I forgot the movie existed until I read this, but it it triggered a, it triggered a really funny memory to me of a time in my life. In 1995, I was 20 years old, maybe, and uh, 21 years old, maybe. And I was uh, I was in the army in in Fort Hood, in Texas, and I would go down on the weekends. Sometimes would drive down the seven hours or whatever it was, eight hours to New Orleans with some of my friends. I was either not twenty one yet, and you could drink at eighteen in New Orleans, or I had just turned twenty one, and all my friends wanted to go to New Orleans. I was kind of, you know, I I spent a lot of my childhood in Alabama, so I was New Orleans adjacent most of most of my life, so I'm pretty familiar with it. So I would bring a lot of people with me to New Orleans, and and sometimes I would just go by myself or whatever. And uh, one time I was staying in New Orleans for the weekend. I don't remember why, but I was broke. I was dead ass broke. And I decided to do this thing that, by the way, I do not recommend this. It probably wasn't smart to do in 1995. It's definitely not smart to do now. So please don't do this. But I used to on, sometimes on trips like that when I was incredibly poor, I would just sleep in my car in a parking garage somewhere. I probably didn't have the $36 for a Motel 6 or whatever it was. So I found a, a pretty safe looking mall and I decided just to to spend the night in my truck there and I was doing it one night and I couldn't sleep. I didn't know what to do. I was fucking bored. And this is 1995, so this is before phones, cell phones. This is before uh, iPads. This is before we just had books and, and CDs. And so I... I said, fuck it. I got out of the truck and I went into the mall and, and I started walking around and I saw that, you know, the mall was closed, but there was a movie theater attached to it and it was open and it was playing the movie Strange Days, which I hadn't really seen or heard about. So I just went in and saw the movie Strange Days for like six bucks or eight bucks. I, I had that much money and really loved it. I remember thinking it was an awesome movie and thinking it was really funny that I was even watching it because I hadn't really heard much about it and it was not, not on my radar and it was only because of the situation I'd put myself in. Uh, that I was seeing it. And I, and I don't remember anything about the movie now other than Ray Fiennes was in it and I liked him a lot in it. But I, uh, after that movie, I just went and I, and I slept in my truck, spent the night in my truck and then went about my business the next day. Completely forgot that I did that until I found out James Cameron produced Strange Days. So there you go. It is my assertion that James Cameron puts trucks in movies because he was a truck driver. And if you can confirm or deny that, I'd love, love for you to email me over at... Uh, eric at jeffsboss.com and let me know uh, your insights into it i also believe that uh, he only had that dream because he was afraid he was being turned into a robot by these uh, italian producers and that if if that hadn't happened if he hadn't had that horrible experience we may not have terminator if we didn't have terminator we might not have had aliens if we didn't have aliens you can go down the line and we may have never had titanic crazy to think about 
so I'll leave you with this. If you uh, if you watch any James Cameron movies that aren't Terminator or Terminator 2 in the near future, keep an eye out for semi-trucks and let me know if, if you see any. If you do, please drop me an email. I'd love to know. And uh, all right. All right.